0: This is Spade, Spoon, Soul, a podcast about all the ways food intersects with our life and faith. I'm Brian Sellers-Peterson, and uh, I'm coming to you from Roslyn, Washington, also known as Sicily, Alaska, um, in the east foothills of the Cascade Mountains in Washington State, from the land of the Yakima people. It's great to uh, be a part of this and looking forward to today's conversation.
1: And I'm Jennifer Baskerville Burroughs. I'm Bishop of the Episcopal Diocese of Indianapolis, the Episcopal Church in Central and Southern Indiana. And we sit on the land of the Kickapoo and many other indigenous peoples who are still here. And I'm delighted to be with you all today. And I'm especially excited because we get to spend time with my sister, Bishop Friend, Bishop Megan took prayer from the Diocese of Northern California. And we're gonna talk about all the wonderful ways in which we can connect our church buildings, our properties, our with land and um, kind of following up on a theme of a conversation we've been doing in season two related to um, agrarian connection with our land and how we might feed and feast better and to, for the service of all. So super excited to have you with us, Bishop Megan. So Megan, let's
0: get started. Um, where are you rooted?
2: Thank you. So. I am right now uh, you find me from my um, home office and I'm in Fair Oaks outside of Sacramento and that of course is the land of the uh, Maidu and the Nisanen and as you said uh, Jennifer lots of lots of other native tribes who are in fact still here and we're in conversation with them but I I have to say that one of the places I am rooted is in um It's in the soil and in growing things. I remember when I, for a little time, lived in a small apartment in Phoenix and I would, on my walk to work, which was, I made up to a block. If I went the long way, it was a block long. um, I would take that block walk so I could walk next to the green bushes and uh, run my hands over the tops of them before I went in, because that's a really urban area. So I, uh, I love and need being near living things. So that's also where I'm rooted. Wonderful, well, I, I'm so excited
1: with you now being in the Diocese of Northern California, which will always have a special place in my heart because the first community-supported agriculture I ever joined was is located still, it's River Dog Farm in the Capay Valley. And so um it that was the most life-changing thing for me when I was living in um, Oakland and getting connected to a farm, visiting the farm, I still cook the recipes from that farm and they're right where you are. And so I would love to hear from your perspective about how food and agrarian ministries and stewardship of church land and all of that kind of fits into your ministry. And I just, I think I can imagine it being everywhere, but tell us about how that comes together with your ministry there.
2: Thank you. Well, uh, you know, the best way to tell it is a little story. And that is, as I was doing my visitations around, right, that's the great blessing of a bishop. You get to um, go see congregations all over the place, not just big cities. Uh, as I traveled from church to church over a really wide distance, I kept on seeing that they had, they had gardens, right? They had community gardens that they had set up where where folks in the neighborhood could use their land to grow food. Um, And as I saw this occur in so many diverse places, and as I drove through amazing agricultural lands, I realized that we are in some of the most fertile land around. We've got this beautiful um, growing season, and there's got to be a way to connect all these churches because the gardens are one of the primary ways, I think, that our churches can connect with our neighbors. So I'm, as I saw that I, well, I always asked for a garden tour. I I tease folks, I say I want a basement to Belfry tour, but I really do, you know, I really want to see where the HVAC system is when I make my first visitation, Uh, but then I want to see the gardens. Um, And uh, at the end of this podcast, I've got a great story about my most recent garden tour, but. For for us here in Northern California, we're in a very beautiful land, um, and this is one of our ways, I believe, to be good stewards of that land. Um, so, garden, community gardens all around.
1: That's fantastic. So I understand. So these garden tours. I mean, I you know, bishops are different everywhere, and your visitations take different shapes. So I love this being really fine-tuned, looking for that property piece that's more than just the sanctuary, right? The sanctuary not made with hands that surrounds our buildings. And so how is that received? I mean, when you're asking those different questions about and and touring those properties and asking questions about the land, is that something that your congregations are really connecting with? And do they see that as an asset as you're trying to raise it up for them?
2: I think they are starting to see it as an asset. So for a lot of them, it's like a, a side gig. It's like, oh, well, we've got a couple of gardeners or we used to have a couple of gardeners and they got these garden boxes set up. But as you can see, they're overgrown with weeds. We haven't done anything with them for a couple of years. You know, And those things happen, right? The person who champions a, a ministry they rise up and then sometimes they move on. So that's what I found is that folks were sort of in different places and they hadn't really thought to look at it. It's like, oh, well, yeah, that's just the part we don't have to mow. And none of them ever said that, but it, it just was not on their radar. But I have seen... Um, I've seen some amazing things happen. So let me tell you what happened when I went to St. George's. So St. George's is in the greater Sacramento area, and they have got a beautiful, big historic oak tree that may officially never be cut down, which is which is fine. It means there's no Sunday school building there. But what do you do? Well, a long time ago, they started these community gardens. And they had at the beginning, a lot of back and forth with the local community. And then I think as uh, time went on, the gardeners sort of aged out. And there were still some folks using the garden, but it was not an active part of their ministry. And it was not an outreach to the immigrant population that is so thick on the ground around them. And you should know that, Um, our immigrant population up here in um, Sacramento, uh, well, comes from all over. But most recently, we've got an awful lot of folks from uh, Eastern Europe uh, and uh, and from Afghanistan. So I challenged them. I said, see if you can find a way to make your garden um, connect with your neighborhood. So they found a great organization called New roots. And that organization helps immigrants to get settled in. And if possible, it helps them to find a community garden where they can, they can grow their own food. But there's a lot more than just getting nice tomatoes out of that. There is something healing and rooting. A lot of these are folks who don't, um, they don't have paperwork for jobs yet. So they've got free time on their hand. Uh, And so this has transformed that church. You know, I got a garden tour there, Brian Sellers Peterson, and had a chance to look at it. We uh, uh, we said uh, not a blessing because folks have so many. It's an interfaith effort, but we definitely gave a special welcome and prayers um, over that garden. And then I had a chance to meet meet some of those. Um, uh, and one of those women um, gave me some marigolds. All right. Now this woman did not have any English. Um, I think she's from Kazakhstan. Um, so she pulled up some marigolds from her garden and and told me in no uncertain terms that these were going to be good for me if I had liver trouble. Now I was mistaken. I thought they'd be good tea for stomach trouble. She clearly indicated it was for liver trouble, which was great. But I have to say that what I was able to do when um, Brian came by is I brought some of the seeds from from those flowers, and I was able to pass them on uh, to other gardeners at every one of our garden tour sites. That was that was kind of special to me. Uh, that's a perfect or literally organic connection happens with this stuff. I love that. So
1: Megan and Brian, can you back up a little bit and talk about these garden tours that you two do? i, I I've done one, I think a decade ago with Brian in the Diocese of, Diocese of Chicago, but say, give some more context for folks who may not be familiar.
2: Well, sh- sure. You know, one of the things we found is that with all these gardens, we thought, you know, there's something we can do with this. We better get together. And so um, my canon to the ordinary on my staff, one of my key clergy assistants um, reached out to Brian because, you know, Julie Wakeley known, already knew we've you, We've known Brian. each
0: other. Yeah, we've known. I've known Julie forever. Um, back when I think she was still in college in Pomona.
1: Wait, you hired Julie on your staff, Megan?
2: Oh, yes, I did. Oh my gosh. Okay. Jealous, but okay. Continue. That's (laughs) fine. Now, but I have to say, Brian, that, um, that Julie will correct you instantly as soon as she hears this podcast that
0: I know, while I she know.
2: worked at Pomona, she graduated from Occidental. This is a key difference if you're in those two schools, but yeah, <laughs> she's the one who was able to reach out to you and start to talk about your coming over here and taking a look. So can you tell us a little bit, you know, you had fresh eyes for these different gardens as we, we tried to tour you around the diocese. What did you see?
0: Well, I've been able to do a lot of these over the years when I visit the diocese I, or they asked me to speak. Um, I say, I'll only do it if I can come out early and uh, see some of your churches and, and their land. And if you've got any gardens or even unused land that we can talk about. And um, Julie and Megan set up a, a, a great visit. One of my favorite theologians is Woody Allen. Um, you know, he, he said that 85% of success is showing up and showing up to meet these people and let them tell their story is transformative, um, in, in so many different ways. And, um, it's a lot of fun and, um, so glad, um, I was able to do that, uh, with Megan. I, I also remember this, I, I want to say yuba city um saint james is that right megan
2: yep saint james, um, james a
0: huge piece of property and they 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 have a uh um a retired uh guy who's who's a bivocational uh priest who's the farmer and i got this great picture that i will definitely post whether megan likes it or not of her <laughs> on the on the church tractor um and and um but, you know, those, those stories um, have a way of motivating people far and, and wide. And uh, that's a part of what this podcast is about, is about sharing stories that are inspirational. So uh, I, I just think showing up is so important. And, you know, even some of those gardens I visited um, with you, jennifer 10 years ago in chicago i still remember them i still draw from them uh inspiration and i know that many of them are still going
2: my mind goes in a couple different directions because you're absolutely right brian um there is such inspiration with that um i will tell you that as i continue visitations now Uh, months and months after we did that special um growing conference growing food faith and community I hear people talk about that and they say, oh, I went to this great conference. It was called the Growing Conference. It's like, yes, we know. Uh, And it was, oh, yes. I I hear that the encouragement that was uh, not just shared by our speakers, but by folks talking together, gardeners, hopeful gardeners, um, people who used to be gardeners, any of those folks talking together, that has gone out, it's like, you know, it's, it's biblical. It's like the leaven in the dough and it has crept out without anyone seeing where it is. But when I visit, I see spots of those leaven and, and it's making a difference in how people think. And, you know, I think, I think one of the reasons why um, these gardens work is they're human sized. You know, this is human sized and human paced. Uh, and it's hard to find that these days. Um, but our gardens really are. I love that. And so Bishop Megan, I have a a practical
1: question. I want to shift this a little bit because, um, and and maybe this is just my own, you're indulging me, but as a bishop, I I used to grow food before I was a bishop. And now I I have a place that doesn't get a lot of sun where I live. So I'm I'm a frustrated gardener. I don't have, so I'm, I'm still trying to figure it out. I'm actually going to be tearing up our front lawn just to put the food there because You know, so, um, do you, how do you get your hands in the soil? Like, do you have time for that? Are you able to grow anything where you are and to tend it? Because if you figured it out, I want all the tips. (laughs) I need some help with that.
2: Oh man, you know, I am an ever hopeful gardener. That's probably the best description. So I've, I actually managed to get, um, Uh, We found we've got a little spot that's sunny. We've got a lot of trees on our yard, but we found a sunny spot, which was great. In fact, it was so sunny, I had to put up shade cloth later on. It looks totally pokey, but I have got really wonderful tomato plants which i planted just before i left for general convention which any gardener will tell you july is A way little. too late yeah way too late <laughs> uh, but we but our frost time is later so the tomatoes are wonderful no the tomato plants are wonderful the number of tomatoes i've actually got off that plant maybe 10 <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, no. <laughs> but the plants look wonderful. So I walk out and I encourage them. I grow flowers pretty well, but it seems like with vegetables, uh, my yard has definitely got to be a put it in the ground and then come back to it a while later kind of place. Yeah. I That's the only way I can do it now. <laughs> I, no, I, OK,
1: I understand. I just I was hoping that being you for that there'd be some some um, extra inspiration and hope for me. But um, but keep at it. Let's let's not give up.
2: Yeah, well, I'm hoping, you know, if I got tomato leaves this year, that next year, with the soil being even better, I will get actually um, uh, tomatoes themselves. Plus, I'm going to put a, a pollinator friendly plant next to the tomatoes. Hopefully, that'll make a difference.
1: Nice, nice.
2: Now, <laughs> so
1: Megan, I want to I ask what feels like a bit of the elephant in the room kind of question. And it's a question I had meant to ask, but didn't have time to work it in with our one of our previous guests from the Agrarian Trust, Ian. But the question has to do with climate change. And as we're talking about land and growing food on it and our relationships with those who grow food, and I think about Northern California and, and climate change and fire season, which now seems to be lengthening in a number of days, and I would wonder about how that's impacting you and your work and how you Um, talk about these things with your people and how you respond.
2: Thank you. Yeah, climate change is um, really present for us up here. Um, We are in the middle of uh, what may be a really, really big and long drought. Uh, So we're brown lawns everywhere is the The least sign of that Um, finding old villages at the bottoms of our reservoirs is a more dramatic and disturbing sign of it right old buildings right that sometimes get flooded with reservoirs and yeah uh, fire season is uh, actually there's. Even in January, there's no time when we don't have fires up here now, um, which is dramatic. Uh, And in fact, we have got a special thanks to a grant from ERD. We have a special missioner, uh, Mark DeBelka for disaster resilience. He helps to prepare our parishes to respond when there are fires. That's our most usual problem up here. I know it's hurricanes elsewhere, Uh, not only how to have a plan themselves, but once our folks are sort of settled or we know they're going to be okay, how to reach out to the uh, congregations or the people around us. Uh, and we've got some dramatically scary but good stories about our congregations getting folks who are not on anyone's radar out of harm's way when they're evacuating Whole Valley. valley. So that's a, that's a big part of who we are and, and and we are working diligently to be responsive to that and to be part of the long-term recovery. Because of course, uh, government steps in for a while, but, and I know this is true elsewhere, the long-term recovery uh, takes a lot of patience, but we are, we're in there for the long run. So that's one piece of your question. The other, other piece, um, maybe about our, thinking about our gardens. So a lot of folks see this as a way to care for the earth. You know, they're doing something other than lawn on the area. Um, They may be able to feed their neighbors with what they're doing or provide a place for their neighbors to feed themselves. Gardens, uh, frankly, our community gardens are not super water and intensive right the way other things are it's it's a it's a carefully stewarded place but maybe one of the most valuable things um is the community that is grown around tending a garden whatever it takes to do that right the pulling of weeds the standing and admiring the the troubleshooting whatever it is there's it leads to other conversations people get to know each other That is a powerful good for for us, you know, in the face of all the anxiety. Well,
1: I mean, this is um, I'm, I'm kind of hopping up and down inside because it connects me to a conversation I had with the head of the Red Cross for Indiana here, who told me that his number one. Initiative and the way he wants churches to tie into that religious communities is that they are about building social cohesion because in the wake of a natural disaster, the thing that um, makes for su- more successful recovery is that there is social cohesion after the immediacy of the the disaster event. And so, what you are talking about is gardens as a means for building and maintaining social cohesion that. If you know, heaven forbid, there's there are um, fires that affect the community, the neighbors, the church people. They know each other in a different and more impactful way that will aid in survival of in the, the cases of the most tragic disasters. And so um, that's that's like gold, right? You, that's a beautiful thing. That's an outgrowth of this ministry that um, pays dividends in other ways. It's beautiful.
0: I like the fact that you're you're letting your lawns go brown, um, you know, because, you know, the church maintains quite a bit of uh, turf grass. And, um, you know, this has kind of come up with us repeatedly, um, you know, as we reconsider, you know, our landscaping. And, uh, you know, some churches are even doing edible landscaping, um, you know, with indigenous um, plants. And I think that that's going to be increasingly important. I think we need to start seeing our property that we're not actively um, using in any fashion, um, or we're waiting to, to to build that social capital so we can get to doing something more creative. But you know, doing things like um, carbon sinks um, with our land, um, and and uh, having rain gardens on our land uh, that divert water where it needs to go um, instead of it harming the environment. So there's just so many different things we can do, Um, and um, I'm really glad that both your dioceses are leading the way and guiding us forward in terms of how we look at our land assets and how we steward
2: them. It's a it's a great blessing um, the land that we've got and, and we've got some places the little churches that were planted a long time ago and they're downtown and you know they have essentially window box amount of space to to plant uh, but they're still they're still doing interesting and and good things there but for um, for a good number of our churches there is actually a there's a footprint that can be used, and you know I like to think about the partnerships, right? Uh, Bishop Jennifer, don't you see that coming up? That you can partner with the community, even if your own folks feel like they are not of the age to put a spade in the ground, but that they could offer, you know, a chance to do that to their neighbors who can't afford to own any ground. That's you know that that seems like a great opportunity.
1: Absolutely. One of our largest, I mean, I would call it a small farm at uh, St. Albans is a partnership in the city of Indianapolis with folks in the community who are um, growing more pounds of food than I ever thought would be possible in the midst of a city. And it's really only possible because they're collaborating with those who are, I mean, not desperate, but I mean, really, they have this yearning to be in the soil and we've got the soil. And so it's a really perfect partnership and making more of those efforts happen, um, both in the cities and also in the places where we have a lot more land in the suburbs and the places that used to be suburbs as they're becoming quickly developed. I think about um, Lebanon, uh, Indiana particularly, like those are thriving because of those partnerships and we would love to see more of them. Hey hey Megan tell
0: us a little bit about uh St. Matthew's center you know because that gets to the 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 spoon um uh side of our our podcast um yeah, I want people to hear about that
2: you bet well St. Matthew's center is a primary site of diocesan outreach and ministry so um maybe 50 years ago that was a big congregation there was an air base right next door and they always did lots and lots of outreach as the air base closed and neighborhoods changed the congregation numbers dwindled and in the end they had a great vision and that was that they would essentially swap the big old sanctuary with Uh, their, uh, their, their parish hall. And so the congregation continues to meet, but they meet in the parish hall, which is much smaller. And a local food bank, which by the way, was initially a ministry of um, some of our downtown Episcopal parishes, and is now a standalone River City food bank. Uh, And I'm happy to give a shout out to them and their amazing work. They came in and uh, where the altar was, Brian, you saw this really, the altar was there is a big sub-zero refrigerator with uh, a doors wide enough that you can drive a forklift in, um, and now they feed tens of thousands of people a month. They they have continued to do that. They feed, they give wonderful food. Um, now that we're getting out of COVID, folks are able to sort of pick their own food as they go through, which is a wonderful feeling of agency. Uh, and it's also a place where we've got a great partnership with a uh, with a school that does huge amounts of teaching for English as a second language. So we have got folks in hijabs and in jeans and, you know, every kind of clothing just swarming all over there. Uh, so yeah, it's a remarkable center of ministry and the, uh, their director there, uh, Jim Shaw, of course, is a great gardener, and he developed all of these gardens. Yes, it, you're nodding your head, Jennifer. Yep. Uh, and so that we've got some garden beds uh, on that property, and we've got room for a lot more garden beds.
0: Hey, before Jennifer jumps in, I got to tell my Kevin Bacon story as it relates to Jim Schull. Um So this garden tour I did with Jennifer 10 years ago, Jennifer and I well she ran the, the Chicago half marathon. I plotted the, the the marathon and then we went over to St Paul and Redeemer Church around the corner from the Obama's in South Chicago South side um, to to see this wonderful garden that um, they had that was a, a, really a big project and the brainchild, of this professor uh, at the Lutheran Seminary, a guy named Jim Shaw. And I love that garden because it had an altar slash work table on one end and a baptismal font slash, you know, watering trough for birds and bees and et cetera on the other end. And uh, I loved it so much, I ended up putting it in the little book I wrote a couple of years ago. And so, Jennifer, you better jump in. Let's let's talk a a little bit more about Jim Shaw, okay?
1: So first of all, (laughs) I'm backing up to the image of the refrigerator where the altar was, and I'm going, oh, that's so Eucharistic. We have to have a picture of this for the show notes. And I'm like, I want to know more about this ministry. And then you say Jim Shaw, and I'm like, oh, of course it was. Of course, because I love that guy and his ministry and impact across the church. It's just so innovative, and I you know, we could make a few more copies of him to put around the church and we'd be good. But that's okay. <laughs> I'll, I'll I'll get it I'll
0: Jennifer, I'll get a book for a podcast. Yeah,
1: oh my um, god. I'm on the
0: phone. I'm, on, I'm on the phone today. Okay. Right, you go great. ahead. Go ahead. But,
1: but anyway, just the the whole image of what that ministry sounds like, Bishop Megan, is everything. And um you've got a great one in Jim Shaw to help um steward that and to, to inspire us. So what I, what, what I would say as I hear you describe that though is that we talked about how there's the losing our quote unquote air quotes here, losing our buildings, having to move out of our spaces, trying to find spaces that are most appropriately sized for the church that we are now. Um, this church has made that shift and it just sounds like everything we're called to be as followers on the, you know, in the way of Jesus to be that connected with the people in our community for the good of the community, and working with nonprofits and people of other faiths to, to to be present in the way that God called us. I mean, that just sounds magical and doable if we can let go of whatever fears we have of what that building used to hold. Like it, what you said described to me is one of the most sacramental images I could think of, of what we're called to do to feed our communities. So um, I just, I'm gonna, I just need to come back out to California and visit. I already have a trip kind of on the books for Berkeley. So maybe I'll sort of just shoot up north and get a garden tour with you. Some
2: <laughs> uh, I would love that. You know, a, a great, there, there are a lot of brilliant and dedicated minds that went into that shift, including um, Bishop Lucinda Ashby, who was um, who was there at the time. Right. So a lot of good minds. But the heart one of the things that I think is very important as well. Uh, the feeding ministry is very large. The the remaining congregation, which is a small congregation, right? They're really mm-hmm. working right. hard. Um, they have still got such a heart of compassion and care for others. They've just really internalized Jesus' call that we serve each other out of out of love for Him, and and that remains a really important part of who they are. Um, and so it's like their DNA has been uh, writ large um, in a kind of an, on a on a, a unusual plot, and yet it's it's really thriving.
1: Yeah, no, that sounds like it. So. Um... As you we begin, we're talking about food, and um, I know, again, that the clock is ticking here on your time, so we don't want to hold you over. But I can't let you go before asking about what food comforts you. When you think about the food that, when you um, want to just like go, mm, what's, what's what's your favorite comfort food that makes you sigh? And
2: That is such a good that is such a good question. I actually, there's a lot of comfort food that makes me, I, there are a lot of foods that comfort me, right? I I enjoy, I really love home cooking. But but you should know that um, in my family, apples hold a special place, right? Because my, my granddad was a rancher uh, in the hills above Riverside, California, and he grew all sorts of apples. And the Oakland apple farm is still there. You're probably picking apples off of those trees right now which is fun which means my grandmother she learned to make everything that you can make out of apples she learned to make because as a farmer's wife she had a lot of apples (laughs) um and so we just made one of my favorite fall desserts which is an apple crisp and that is definitely a comfort food to me i love to use her old recipe um i love to make sure there's plenty of topping i have to say you know, no scant topping in my book. A lot of good crispy topping over whatever those apples are. So that's a that's a good homey comfort food for me.
1: Oh, I love it, and it's this. You know, verb, over here in anyway, thinking of apple season. Apples are going to be coming to market soon here in the Midwest and East Coast. So yeah, maybe I'll uh, do a crisp this year. Let
2: let me let me share two two other pieces. You know about. <laughs> Sorry about that, but how you how we can see that the seasons change. Mm -hmm. So so when we see the apples come to the market, absolutely. That's when I think about fall. But when I lived in the southwest, I knew fall was coming when hatch chilies started Mm -hmm. to arrive in the stores. Right. The temperatures hadn't changed. But in the southwest, the arrival of hatch chilies as much as apples told me that the season was changing. And that's got its own array of cooking opportunities.
0: It sure does. So, you know, I'm gonna make Jennifer extremely jealous right now because Megan, I'm gonna see you in about a month. Uh thanks. I, I'm gonna come back, get some more garden <laughs> tour, and I get to speak at your diocesan convention. Um, that that will be fun. You we're gonna wrap it today. Um, so really Thank you uh, for being with us. And if you want to uh, know more about Spade Spoon Soul, uh, go to our Facebook page um, and uh, where we post everything. And we're on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, um, TechCast, the Episcopal Church's platform. So get your friends and and your neighbors and your congregants uh, to subscribe to the podcast and. Especially to share this one. I think this is a, a good
1: Absolutely. Be sure to check out the show notes for links and some images of the things we've been talking about today. And we want to thank as we close out our our producer, Derek Weston, who you don't see much, but he's working the magic to help our podcast sound as good as it does. He's a Presbyterian pastor, urban farmer, community organizer, podcaster, and all of all the things that um, we all want to be when we grow up. <laughs> we also want to thank J.Side Botham, um, Priest who does our artwork and Ryan Lee for the groovy music that opens and closes our show.
0: Yeah, and we're and Derek's got a book coming out with Anna Wolfendom. Um So, you know, we're going to be starting to do some plugs on, uh, you know, another one of the many things that Derek's up to. Um, but until next time, we hope you will find ways to connect your soul to your spoon or your spade, or both. Thanks so much.
1: Take care, everybody.